0: Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Brilliance Security Podcast. Hello, my name is Steve Bocut and I am an editor for Brilliance Security Magazine. Brilliance is an online digital publication dedicated to the security industry. Our mission, and thus our name, is to illuminate the intersection of physical and cybersecurity. We cover both of these security domains by publishing original content about threats, hacks, products, and security strategies. We hope you'll enjoy this podcast and visit us at brilliancesecuritymagazine.com. Welcome to the Brilliant Security Magazine podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your listening. Today, our guest is Bikash Barai. He's the co-founder of Fire Compass. Fire Compass is a leader in external attack surface management and continuous automated red teaming. And it's a mouthful, but that's the topic for today. So the, we're going to be talking specifically about what security teams need to know about continuous automated red teaming and attack external attack surface management. Before I bring in Bikash, let me tell you a little bit about him. Bikash is a serial cybersecurity entrepreneur. Before co-founding Fire Compass, he founded iViz, an automated application security testing company. He has graduate and postgraduate degrees from the Indian Institute of Technology in Computer Science and Architecture. He is passionate about AI, cognitive hacking, and attack simulation. He is credited for several innovations in the domain of IT security and has multiple patents. Bikash is one of Fortune's 40 under 40 and also received multiple other recognitions from UC Berkeley, Intel, NASCOM, Red Teaming, ITE, and others. Outside of cybersecurity, Bikash is an amateur magician, which I found interesting, a painter. He is also passionate about mindfulness, meditation, psychology, and philosophy, with that, welcome. Thank you for joining me today, Bikash.
1: Thank you, Steve.
0: All right. Thank you
1: for inviting.
0: This is going to be fun. Before we get into the topic, I thought maybe I would ask you to talk a little bit about some of these uh, interests outside of cybersecurity, uh, amateur musician, and maybe particularly mindfulness, meditation, psychology, and philosophy. What are your interests there?
1: Uh, so, Steve, this, this, some say, getting married makes you... A philosopher. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I think I, I think being a cybersecurity professional makes you interested in philosophy. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> so it's a it's a cybersecurity uh, as a field is very interesting. Entrepreneurship. I mean, it, it comes with a lot of stress, right? So I got kind of naturally interested, like what causes stress and how do you manage stress and what is happiness and. Stuff like that. And as an engineer, when I got interested in it, it's like go and read 100 books on this topic. <laughs> so yeah. I found some very interesting stuff related to um, like happiness and cybersecurity. Uh, very interestingly, happiness and cybersecurity kind of goes, is very, very similar. Uh, let me explain you Why? Uh, if you think about happiness, happiness, it's very abstract, right? Nobody yet has figured this out. Same mm-hmm. is with cybersecurity. We really haven't figured it out. The second thing is whatever you do, you can't always be happy. There will right. be moments when you'll become unhappy, right? That's that's the kind of fundamental truth. And that's also true with cybersecurity. Whatever you do, there will be those moments when you will be insecure and you could be preached or whatever it is, right? So now there's a very interesting thing about um, about um, happiness is that you, you know this generally happy person right like whatever bad things happen they come back to the happy state mm-hmm. and then there are these generally sad person <laughs> whatever good things happen they would come back to their sad or complaining state right so we want to be when it comes to cyber security we want to be more like the generally happy person so that the 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 business is safe, right? Even if bad things happen, we should be able to come back to the safe state from the business perspective. So like there's a lot of interesting things, which I noticed, which is very similar and mindfulness turns out to be very interesting. Like um, this had been a very interesting revelation. Um, Like we all know about SOC, right? You build Mm -hmm. the security operations center, you collect the logs, you want to have the visibility and the awareness of like what's happening there. Is there some attack which is happening? detect that and respond and recover from that right so detect respond recover becomes very important but how about our mind how aware are we about our mind we really realize that we are doing a lot of this self-talking or thinking about something which really hasn't happened or maybe somebody did something uh, on the uh, road spoke something and we come back and still mentally keep on playing that in our mind we really are not aware of that right so how do we kind of build a mental shock where we are aware of like this is what's happening to me and if we have better awareness then we can make better decisions and then we can respond and recover better so I kind of got interested in mindfulness very much from the perspective of like how do we deal with this day-to-day stress which is very common uh, in the life of an entrepreneur as well as a cybersecurity professional so so some of these um, like interesting hobbies were something like yeah uh, which became a necessity for me to survive <laughs> survival <laughs> strategy you might say magic yeah. was also a survival strategy for a different reason. Huh? Oh, so, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, I, I find that Those fascinating. Those were the younger days. Huh? Those the I younger find that days, fascinating.
0: Yeah. As you were speaking, I was thinking, and I can start, as you were speaking, I've started to build in my mind some some interesting parallels, like with the happiness. The only reason that, this is you know, my own personal philosophy, that the only reason people are ever happy is because they have been sad or had trials, right? You have to have something to compare it. If you never had any hard things in your life, you'd never really be happy because you'd have nothing to compare it against. And I make that parallel then to cybersecurity as well, right? You're never going to be secure if no one was ever attacking you uh, or if you didn't know what an attack was going to look like or feel like or how to respond to it. So anyway, we're probably going off a philosophy edge here that we may not want to go off of, but I found that interesting as you were talking about that. Uh well let's get into what we came to talk about. So th- before we actually get into the topic though, I would like you to tell our audience more about uh, Fire Compass in case uh, some of us uh, some of the audience is not aware. Uh, tell us about Fire Compass, what you do, those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. So we'll keep it very short um like fire, as, as as an organization our uh, the problem that we try to solve is helping you to monitor your External attack surface, what changes are happening out there? Did somebody create a new database and put it up online, and the cybersecurity team is not aware of some new application which is orphan or new application which just got rolled out without your knowledge, or some orphaned application? How does your attack surface look like? So, we keep on continuously monitoring that, and then after that, we mimic a real adversary. Like you may think of, like specific say nation state actors or ransomware actors what kind of techniques do they use so we have those library of various attacks and then you can run those attacks on yourself so you mm-hmm. continuously discover your attack surface continuously go and run those attacks so which is like if you consider recon an attack it's like red teaming right so we give this the name continuous automated red teaming Um, and, and interestingly, many of the companies also picked up the name Gartner calls it differently. They call it automated red teaming. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do in short, like continuously monitoring your attack surface at external attack surface management and automated red teaming.
0: Okay. Thank you. So let's, let's kind of start with the basic question, kind of set, set the, uh, um, uh, a foundation for the for the conversation that I that I'd like to have, and so talk to our audience about why it's important to um, manage your external attack surface and continuously test your defenses. So, why is that such an important thing to do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Let let me rather tell you a story story of how kind of I stumble upon this. Like, why yeah. did we start this? And that kind of story. a kind of personal journey but that story also tells the importance um, in in certain ways so we had the previous company which got acquired now it is in the hands of synopsis uh post um synopsis we were thinking like what's that next problem which we could work on and then um, i noticed a very interesting breach that happened one of the largest financial services company got breached because they had an open MongoDB without any password. Mm-hmm. It's a great company. I highly respect them. Great team. They have the best of the tools and any tool would have caught that. Right. It's very easy to catch that vulnerability. So we thought like, why did they mm-hmm. miss it? right? And once we went a little bit deeper, we noticed there's that the marketing with another subcontractor created that database, made it online. It was not even part of the asset list. Nobody was testing it, monitoring it. And so it's impossible right, to kind of um, secure if you don't even know what to secure. And then we notice that this is becoming a phenomenon. Like um, earlier organizations were very centralized. IT had the full control of what's going to go online, but today it's very decentralized. All these various departments can put things up online. So uh, that's great from agility perspective, but also comes with this bad side of it, right? That you don't know of all the assets. So that's one change which we noticed. And there's a second interesting change which we noticed. And there's another very interesting story. Uh, Like a couple of decades back when I was in school, during those days, I remember like sounding hacking enthusiasts in the the school. Uh, What they used to do was look for like patch Tuesday. The day Microsoft, Tuesday or Thursday, I forgot. Um, Those days, Maybe it was Tuesday. Uh, yeah. uh, so anyway, so the patches used to get released and this group used to go and um, reverse engineer the patch and figure out like, what did Microsoft try to fix? Find what out are the they trying to release. fix? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Find the, find the go weaknesses. And, <laughs> sure, yeah. go ahead. And then write an exploit and then right. use that to own the entire university network. Hmm. Very interestingly, if you look at how, and those those group of guys, I mean, the goal was more of research, right? No malicious intent. Um, mm. But now, fast forward today, if you look at the ransomware guys, are exactly doing the same. The moment a new vulnerability is coming up, they're seeing like, how can we scan the entire internet? During those days, it was like only scan the um, the network of the uh, school, but now mm-hmm. it's like scan the entire internet. Like you got Shodan. Uh, you've got like um, these bug bounty tools which sends these alerts like here's this interesting open database or here's right. this interesting rdb port and sends it to the bug uh, the bounty hunters so either these b- bounty guys or the uh, bad actors ransomware folks they're continuously looking for that opportunity scanning the internet and attacking it so two very interesting changes huh, which has happened in the landscape one is no longer the assets um, are under the the assets which come up online are under the control of any central organization it's all decentralized you don't have control and visibility the second is the hackers are attacking all the assets all of the time whereas we the folks who are trying to secure we still test only our crown jewels the most important ones we test them few times a year mm-hmm. and that's a problem which needs to be solved and that's when we thought like as an industry we must have the capability to continuously discover our assets and to continuously test it. Right. We have to be like the, uh, uh, the hackers, right? I mean, if you if can't stay ahead of them, they're going to catch us. So that was the vision with which we started. At that point in time, like this name of space was not there. We thought of naming it as continuous automated red timing. Gartner interestingly created this hype cycle and um, created a new category. They're calling it automated red timing. So that's how it kind of evolved. We thought of this problem and why we thought that this is very important. Going forward, I can't think of the world where we are not discovering our assets, where we don't have the awareness of like what all assets we have, and we are not testing it continuously. This has to happen. This is what our like hypothesis right. is and our belief is. Huh?
0: Right. Uh, that's, that's fascinating to me. And uh, I mean, it seems kind of obvious the relationship between automated red teaming and the attack service management, but they are two kind of separate activities. One is discovering all your assets and the other one, you know, is, is testing all of those assets. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Why is it important? You just mentioned that, you know, how important it is to continuously test them. I mean, literally continually um, you're always looking for new assets in a network on in an enterprise and then always testing them. Is that, is that how you, you say the world, believe the world should be?
1: Yes, that's absolutely like we should continuously discover and also test. See, it's important to test. Discovery right. is the path. Right. Now, the goal is testing and finding out the vulnerabilities and fixing it, right? So that's right. the goal. So, right. I mean, um, going back to philosophy, <laughs> <there's> <laughs> this uh, interesting parable, the, the, the saint points at the moon and a lot of folks who see the same they look at the finger uh, and they worship the finger <laughs> some uh. may also debate no finger is not the answer right so what's our moon here right what goal are we trying to achieve our goal is as an industry we should have the ability to discover the flaws and fix it right that's the goal now right. if that is the goal the discovery alone is not enough right that doesn't that's not our moon, right? Discovery is not enough. That's one. The second part is like, when you look at attack surface management, the discovery part only, it throws a lot of false positives. That's a yeah. challenge. Yeah. So unless you actively test it, the false positives will be there and nobody wants too many alerts, which are false positives. And the second challenge is also with prioritization. Like how do we you know which are the ones which I should fix first? So doing the attacks helps you to prioritize better. Like finding out what we should focus on. And thirdly, it also helps you to uncover a lot of stuff which just the discovery cannot. When you go and attack, you uncover a lot more stuff, right? So these are the three reasons why, like stopping at attack surface management is not enough. So you have to do the attacks or the red teaming, whatever you might call. Uh, So that's from the perspective of like why you should do this. And when we created the company, our vision was automated red teaming. We never thought of building an attack surface management company. That wasn't the goal. Now, if we think of red teaming, like if you go with the traditional kind of way in which we look at red teaming, the first part is reconnaissance, right? So if I have to kind of make it into two small buckets, right, is recon and attack. Within attack, there's a lot of things like you can get the initial foothold and do lateral movement, exfiltration, multiple other things. But if I have to simplify, super simplify, it's recon and attack, Right. Without Recon, you can't do red teaming. So that is the reason why we did it, because that was like our stepping stone. But our goal, or the moon, is not Recon. Right. Our goal, or the moon, is to help organizations discover their attack surface, find out the gaps, and then help them to remediate. That's the
0: Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and you, it would be tough to separate any of those three. Uh, you have to know what the targets are. You have to know the assets uh, before you can before you can test them. Uh, and then once you've tested them, I hadn't really thought of it in that light, but now you have the basis for your prioritization. So does a platform like yours actually help the customer do that prioritization, or does it just say, okay, well, here's here's the vulnerabilities you you should probably be looking at, or is there some automated remediation uh, that goes along with it?
1: So we do have uh, certain abilities to prioritize because we have various attack playbooks which emulates various types of threat actors. Okay. Now, what we are doing is prioritization from the perspective of attackers. So it is adversary-centric prioritization. So yes, we are helping you to prioritize, but we are helping you to prioritize from the perspective of an adversary. You can do okay. prioritization using many other models. Some like the exactly risk-based yeah. model where you try to quantify the risk and put a dollar value to that. I'm not a big fan of that model. Now, the the reason is like you, you can't build a, like you can't have very uh, like a building strong building uh, with strong beams and whatever um, uh, if the foundation is just sand. I mean it, right. it's hard to do that you, you can do that you can make it like go very deep and create very good foundation but if the foundation is shallow you can't build a strong building like having great doors and strong doors and windows doesn't help so the problem with the other kind of risk management models is the the where you try to quantify and put a dollar value is you need to be super mature to right. and have a very strong model for quantifying risk if you don't have that you're kind of building something on very weak uh, foundation. So that is the reason why I am personally not a very fan of that. I believe it's a lot more practical way to prioritize when you look at it from the adversary perspective. If we get to know like this year, 50% of the breaches or 30% or 20% of the breaches has happened because of this, or this is the trend in which the attackers are going, you got this intelligence from NSA or, Uh, some organization that certain threat actors are using this kind of attack techniques, then use that and see, attack yourself and see how safe are you, right? So we are talking from the perspective of adversary-centric prioritization. So this is a slightly different philosophy. And I believe in this because it's very practical and it's easier than doing the like quantification with dollar value, et cetera.
0: Okay, and it sounds like from what you've just said that you are also recommending some, at least some level of, um, utilizing some level of threat intelligence because, uh, right. you know, if there's a vulnerability that is really not in your geography or your system type or your vertical market, that may not be as high on your list, your prioritization list, as something um, that is in one or all three of those areas in which your organization lives. And so it's nice to know um, that have that. I would assume that that's what you're saying. Is It's nice to know, right. to have that threat intelligence to help you make those informed decisions about prioritizing your vulnerabilities. That's Interesting. Right.
1: So based on threat intelligence and also impact, like, you know, like, I got yeah, this. Criticality, thing, is, sure. Uh, and can, is there a multi-stage attack possible? Like attacker uses X and Y and get success. Right. So those kind of um, like complex stuff also, like where you get to know the impact of uh, vulnerability, which may appear as a standalone thing, not very high risk, but when you look at it in a holistic manner in conjunction with certain other things, it can be very high risk, right? So um, that's what red teaming is about. So um, uh, looking at the risk from the perspective of the adversary and the attacker and the threat intelligence, that's one, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And also from the perspective of what an attacker could do emulate that right. show me like, if
0: it
1: is right. risky then, given this I mean, vulnerability
0: what from, could uh, could the end result be which should be critical okay. to know of course all right um well that, that's fascinating i, I want to back up one quick question that just came to my mind earlier and, and i should have asked it mm-hmm. then to, but i but i failed to but do you have any i don't know statistics or or even a, a perception of how many organizations are not completely aware of their attack surface? I mean, is it most, not all, 90%, 20%? Um, I hear a lot about attack surface management and asset discovery. Uh, and it seems like, from my perspective, that that's a big number. I, I don't know what the number is, but it's a big number of organizations that things are happening in you know different departments that they're just not aware of and, and they're not fully aware of their yeah. attack surface.
1: Yeah, so the answer would be... Um... Like it depends on the particle and the industry sector, okay, so there are some very mature sector um, like some of the top the, if you look at the top banks and all these folks they they have implemented attack surface management so um now just they probably the have attack. very
0: strict rules about who can do what in their environment as yeah. well, right, so you don't end up with rogue systems because that's not allowed and, and it's yeah.
1: Yeah, despite those rules, still bad things happen. It but still they happens, have yeah. like attack surface management kind of thing. So there's certain sectors who have adopted. Um, then there are certain other mid market. The adoption is very low. Uh, the um, certain sectors like manufacturing. The adoption is not very high. So okay. if you look at the various sectors, the adoption level is different. But if you look at the entire industry as a whole, adoption is very very small percentage really I mean, uh, if okay. you have to like uh, it's very hard for me to uh, talk about numbers here i, I think gartner sure we <laughs> have the rights to talk about it but <laughs> i believe right. <laughs> right. It's not a scientific uh, this thing but based on my kind of whatever data point i have less than five percent uh, even lesser
0: okay and that and that's pretty consistent with kind of the, the view that I have built over the years uh, as well. So I appreciate you kind of validating that I'm seeing that correctly as well. All right. Well, we're we're about out of time. I do want to end with with one final question. And we, we always end with this same question. As, or it's a very open-ended question. The essence of this question is, what should I have asked that I failed to ask? But what else does our audience need to know about automated red, red teaming, attack surface management, or about fire camp? Uh, Compass.
1: So, uh, just one thing which I would like to highlight is: um, see, this is true for any technology, and cybersecurity as a field, like one of, uh, like we have some of the major challenges. And if I have to talk about few topics, like too many tools, too many alerts, too few mm-hmm. people. Right? There we go. I <laughs> like that. <laughs> very succinct. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So one of the challenge with attack surface management is like, how do you implement that to make it into a successful program? That's mm-hmm. very, very important. So just having a ASM or EASM tool is not really enough. It's going to throw a lot of false positives. You have to make sure that you triage those and action it out. So it's it's not an easy thing. So um, I believe that Along with that, when you add the capability of testing, it helps you to eliminate the noise like what I mentioned. But on top of it, having certain uh, people in the team or through managed service, it's very important that you have that layer of um, uh, kind of people either through managed service or through your internal team uh, so that these alerts are triaged and then gets actioned out. That's very, very important. A lot of times we see uh, organizations are not using the product that often Hmm. so even though the alert is there they're not active acting upon that and the reason is alert fatigue they have a lot of alerts so they don't so uh, fortunately with fire compass because we go beyond easm and do the red teaming we have these attack playbooks we help to kind of reduce the noise but at the end of the day that's very important because there might be one or two in that noise which could be very dangerous right so building a program around this so that things are actually actioned out. And the good thing is that it is possible to reduce noise. That's the good news. It is possible to reduce noise. It's possible to reduce false positives. It's possible to prioritize better. so building that program around that is very important to make um, a successful, uh, like what I mentioned, right? Like going towards the moon.
0: (laughs) Sure, exactly. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Um, This has been a fascinating conversation, Bikash. Thank you. I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Uh, A big thanks to our listeners for being with us. And please remember to like and subscribe if you find this podcast interesting and join us next time for another episode of the Brilliant Security Magazine podcast.